Welcome to the Alienist Angel of Darkness recap podcast. My name is Alex, and I have not read Caleb Carr's The Angel of Darkness. And my name is Nick. I've read it. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 4 of the TNT series titled Gilded Cage. While we will not be spoiling any of the book and by extension any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details of the Season 2 of season two through episode four so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of the episode just in case you are unaware this show is airing two episodes at a time in the united states but we are still recording separate podcast episodes for each episode so this episode of our podcast is only discussing the fourth episode of season two in our feed each week two episodes are being posted about 12 hours apart if you accidentally skipped an episode particularly episode three in this case go back and check our feed for the one you missed or to see if the next one has been posted. You can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv, and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast. If you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to mpn.bz Patreon and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K, Gojo, and Sidza who have pledged at the level of $10 per month. Speaking of shows on the Midwest Podcast Network, check out Horror Movie Yearbook as they finish their summer of Scream, discussing Scream 4, as well as the Midwest Game Rids, where we just talked about Ghost of Tsushima. Nick, how you doing? Doing pretty well. Still awake. How about you? Still, yeah. Still what? Still awake. Oh, yeah. That's good. Of course. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, I should clarify at the beginning of the episode, I just said I've read it. I have read the Angel of Darkness. <laughs> well, thank you. The, the book. I wasn't. I, just I wasn't sure. Specific. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, yeah, doing doing just awesome. How about you? Doing great. Just yeah. as good as when we still. did this about an hour ago. Yeah, it's no. Is it a secret still at this point that we're recording these back to back? I think they know. Okay. The attentive listeners will know. <laughs> They'll be like, "Wait a minute!" And you know what? People who watch The Alienist. I bet they're pretty attentive people. <laughs> Damn right. Yeah, especially hopefully if some of the people, podcast. the people who are able to identify breast milk under a microscope, <laughs> wrote in as the most attentive people. Yes, Marcus Isaacson knew that we were recording two of these every night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get literally in. every night we're recording two of these every night. <laughs> Even when there's not a new episode to discuss, you guys just hear the best one out of that Yeah, we week's. just re-record them, and yeah. we we stealthily replace the file that's in the feed, so everyone's getting a different version of the it's show. It's why there's never any mistakes by the time the next week comes around. It's the best we, version of the show. Yeah, we will achieve perfection. We get it down to 30 pure minutes of information for you. and uh... Oh my god, we should try it. We should... <laughs> <laughs> Try to re-record them a couple times and just distill it down to literally only the br- the bullets yeah. of what you need to know, which you would know if you watch the show. Yes. yes. You're all set. You got it. No, no commentary, <laughs> just facts. There you go. Uh, uh, all right, let's check in with John Moore real quick. Google. All right, thank you, John. On to the <laughs> teaser. Laszlo stops by a photographer's house to ask about her Memento Mori photography. She tells him that she mainly serves the poor now, and she does not. Uh, she does the work pro bono. She lost, once lost a six-month-old named William herself. Lazo specifically asks her about photos where she had hand-painted open eyes onto the negative. She mentioned that she had uh, she had only done that twice for mothers grieving without end that ended up taking their own lives. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Sarah takes Bitsy to the lying-in hospital for her interview and to start working. Um, 
The idea of going to visit the Memento, Memento Mori photographer, I think, is pretty pretty cool, especially since they kind of teased that detail out of it. I think it's mostly um, mostly Lazo confirming what he already knows, but the idea that maybe he would have been able to figure out who it was due to like this particular aspect of drawing the eyes onto the doll and and yeah. the other and the 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 deceased baby as well i think um interesting but obviously not fruitful in this particular case yeah i loved all the detective work in this episode there's a lot of it and it's all really cool and really fun to watch and it's the kind of stuff that i wish there was a little bit more of in season one i mean season one obviously had a lot of detective work uh but and it was all what was there was really cool but this just already i'm like man it feels like we're getting tons of scenes of like people exploring all these different angles and it's really cool yeah absolutely i completely agree um but yeah i don't think there's much else in the teaser unless you've got something Mm-mm. all right act one is a big one so we're gonna go through about half of it right now libby stops by sarah's office to collect the nap file before work Sarah asks about Colleen Ledwidge, the girl who last saw Martha Knapp the night of the abduction. Libby won't gossip, but mentions that Colleen may not stand up for herself and gets blamed for the sins of others. Bitsy happens to be paired with Colleen, and we learn that Helen, the mistress dropped off at the hospital in episode 2, is a mistress of Richard Osgood, just like Colleen was once when she was a patient at the very same hospital. It also turns out that Richard had Helen sterilized during the visit. Libby gets caught uh, by the matron as she tries to replace the nap file and ultimately gets punished by the matron for taking it in the first place. And then Sarah and the crew meet with Senor Linares to outline what they've learned so far, but he only, he gets angry because the investigation is still centered around Martha Knapp. Laszlo and Sarah explain that they're still his only option. Uh, let's stop there real quick. Cause there's a lot. Um, so Libby and Colleen clearly is so anybody here has already watched this episode. We kind of learned that it seems like Libby is the main suspect here. And the person that Senora Linares saw at the, at the, uh, at the tea house. So, um, this early on, it seems like she's pretty forthcoming with the idea of like, Hey, it's not Colleen because she probably is getting blamed for the sins of other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, it's interesting, like, I guess the main thing that I thought of here is if Libby did this to the nap child, why would she volunteer the information? Why would she get that file? And maybe she knew that it wouldn't say much because she's good at what she does. Maybe there's also part of her that wants to get captured and wants people to know of the work that she did. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, but... <clears throat> yeah... I do. I don't know if I can say them. That's fair. I mean, even discussing Libby right now ahead of the end of the episode feels like I'm spoiling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You, you you can be you can be as careful as you would like. So please feel free to deny any of my prompts if you if you would like to err on the side because I feel like even I feel like we're kind of dancing around something. I don't know why, but there's part of me that feels like even though the shoe has dropped that there's maybe another shoe that is dropping at some point or just kind of um it does it uh interesting that they bring up Occam's razor last episode but that that it doesn't necessarily feel like the like the simplest thing is is what's going to be the truth here I guess I don't know there's something that's put me on edge um yeah I <clears throat> 
All right. We will move on from that particular topic. Um, Bitsy being in undercover once again, I said this was pretty cool, a cool idea in the last episode, and it does, I think it does prove to be pretty interesting. Um, Libby's, uh, Libby's, or I'm sorry, Bitsy's accent is so funny. Yes, it is. I really want a scene of her at some point just being like, Hey, I'm a detective. I'm detecting here. I'm I'm finding clues here. Like, get off of me. It's so get that, I will put it on the soundboard, I promise. Okay. You. Good. Uh we can we can along, call it along with whenever Google. we need. Okay, good. Um but yeah, we get a little bit more about Colleen, who we kinda danced around a little bit last episode. We learned that she was one of uh the patients at the hospital, which Dr. Marco did kind of tell Sarah in the last episode that that's kind of their um, uh, that's how they sustain themselves is that th- even though these poor women can't necessarily pay them for their services, they will come and work for them as essentially seems like almost indentured servitude. Who knows if they're mm. getting paid, but, uh, seems like they at least get food, if not also lodging of some kind. So. <clears throat> yeah. I do get the vibe that they can, that they live there essentially almost like a convent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the idea that uh, Mr. Richard Osgood got uh, Helen sterilized while she was there, horrifying, once again. Something that I kind of felt like I knew was coming in those first two episodes we saw last week. Um, Ugh. But, yeah. Yeah. Terrifying. Awful. Um, more of Libby kind of getting mistreated by the matron, of course, which uh, which sucks. You know, more characterization of the matron, but... I don't know if there's anything in particular to comment on there until we get to the end of the episode, I guess. Yeah. And then um, the senior kind of being short-sighted and not seeing <clears throat> that the work that they're doing for Martha Knapp must be, could be connected to what uh, could be their only way to find baby Anna, I think, uh, is pretty a pretty common trope for, for this kind of story, but I think it still worked pretty well. Yeah, it does help feed into the idea that what they're doing is somewhat revolutionary. That idea of drawing on all that previous history and, and applying it to creating a profile for who their killer might be. Uh, it seems like it would have been a hard thing for somebody to accept back yeah. then. They'd be like, I don't see how this is relevant. That's not my baby. Like, find my baby. This baby's gone. Yeah. There would certainly be that contention of, like, why, why, why aren't you doing anything to help me? And why are you learning about this other thing? But hopefully in the long run, uh, things are connected, and and it does make sense. It seems to have put them on the right trail, anyway. Um, Yeah, all right. A little bit more of Act 1 here. Hearst complains about the flowers delivered to the journal for Violet and John's engagement party as John stands outside reading the journal headline, uh, blaming the bodies found on the docks on the Spanish. John meets with Bernie to introduce Cyrus's niece, Joanna Crawford, and essentially hires him herself... uh, Hires her by himself to be a lifestyle reporter for the Times. Sarah clandestinely meets Bitsy in a church to learn about what Bitsy has learned so far. Maternal research is specifically for mistresses of old rich men, and somehow it seems they've had still all had stillbirths because there are no babies in that wing. Sarah asks specifically about Colleen and asks Bitsy to get close to her to learn more about how she came to be a patient and then work her at the hospital. And Sarah also asks Bitsy to investigate the chemical that the Isaacsons determined was the poison for the nap child, acetanilide. Bitsy returns to the hospital and finds it when Colleen catches her. 
Back at Sarah's office, Sarah postulates that Colleen may be their lead suspect. As a younger wet nurse who was a previous patient of the hospital, Marcus still wonders if it was the matron due to her access to the chemicals. While Laszlo doesn't want to give up on Dr. Marco, even though all the evidence is pointing to the profile of a woman. Sarah and Laszlo agree to confront Marco and Osgood at John's engagement party. Um, Still enjoying the portrayal of Hearst as this, like, just despicable, wealthy man. Yeah. Good parallels (laughs) to other uh, people in the news business as of today, as we know. Um, I like the idea of John getting Joanna a job. I thought that scene played pretty, pretty well. And, and I think she, uh, I like the fact that Bernie was skeptical at first, but also respected the work that she had kind of submitted with her application, I guess. Yeah. It seemed, it seemed like, it, you know, having a black woman on the team at the times at that time probably doesn't seem too likely, but also, um, her getting there on the merits of the work, I think is a, is a nice sentiment. And I guess I'm curious to know if that would really ever happen back then, but probably not. Yeah. That's the thing is like it, she still doesn't even really get it on the merits of her work. She gets it. Cause John basically goes to bat for her. That's and true. like, it felt it's, it's such a difficult thing to navigate without seeming inappropriate or pandering or inaccurate. Because even the way John kind of, even the way his boss reacts to it and the way John reacts to his reaction is almost like a, almost comes across as though he's doing it just to rattle his boss's cage and like prove a point about something. Hmm. And then the way John, and I don't think that's the intention, but I think it, it can be read that way, which I think is sort of inevitab- an inevitability when it comes to like a, a race issue like this. So the whole the whole thing was just, awkward and i just feel bad for for uh joanna for for well yeah yeah for joanna but also for everybody involved because it's like yeah the guy respects her her work and he wants to work with her but he even kind of has this look in his eye of like how can i justify this and then yeah. you know he wants to do the right thing but he's all like can he in his mind can he of course he can like but you know okay does he think he can he can make this decision make sense so it's it's just uncomfortable as it should be as yeah. it was. Yeah. I it, I guess uh, yeah, I it would be interesting. I don't know if we have any people of color who are listening to us and are watching the show, but if you want to offer your perspective on it, please write into us. Um but I think um I liked the bravado of John a little bit of just kind of being like I'm not going to let you give a no here, but it also it, I, I agree with what you're saying where it kind of sucks that it's like just because this one white dude is willing to stand up to the system in this in this way that she's she's getting this position rather than it being on the merit of her work um yeah but yeah an interesting interest and and I think there's some aspect of it where John almost implies in the scene that he wants her to be at his party mm-hmm. to be listening to rumors and things like that and getting the scoop um, so he seems to have a personal investment in it for himself. It's not just like a self, it's not necessarily just a selfless act for Joanna, but, and Cyrus by that man. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't think so either. I think also part of him wants to have her there to also rattle people's cages and upset people mm. because this is a way he can do it, which is so gross to think that that might be a tactic that he's using. But there's, uh, also- I do think, I think 
that might be happening on an unconscious level because he does obviously care very much for Cyrus and Cyrus's family and he wants to help her out and he knows her work is good and if she's given the chance she can prove herself but um yeah just uncomfortable there was also a line in episode one or two of Bernie trying to like uh Bernie walks up with the piece on Martha Knapp and is like, hey, it's pretty good, but uh, you sure you don't want to go back to lifestyle or whatever he says? And mm-hmm. so this also kind of feels like a way of John filling that spot so that he doesn't uh, have to step backwards, right? So, but... Very true. It's not necessarily all... That doesn't seem to be the main the main point of all of it. Um... Sarah meeting with Bitsy, kind of get the information dump. That's all pretty clear exposition and stuff like that. The idea that they're meeting up kind of secretly in the church, I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, also very, very tense. I was like, they're going to get caught any yeah. second now. Yeah. Who's, who's there that would, I would like even just the shot of the nun. I was like, would the nun go back to Dr. Marco or something and be like, right. Yeah. So. Pretty, yeah, pretty... you don't know how far these people's influence extends, so it's got it's got me on edge with every scene. Absolutely. Um, and then we touched on it a little bit last episode, but the idea of uh, Sarah kind of gives her... We see Sarah, Marcus, and Laszlo all kind of have their own suspicions of who it may be that is uh, kind of the main suspect at this point. And for me, Laszlo kind of seems the most off in the weeds of like, hey, it's still Dr. Marco. Yeah, um, that's true. But Sarah, Sarah's kind of got this very reasoned approach and also kind of seems to win over Marcus in the scene, too, which I thought was good. You can see mm-hmm. that her expertise is being paid its due, even if it might be a little bit later than than some would like. Um, so that was nice. Any other thoughts on Act 1? No. All right. <laughs> What about you, John? Google. All right. Google. Google it. (laughs) Act two. At John and Violet's French-themed engagement party, John meets with Hearst and Richard Osgood to warn Hearst against using the Linares abduction back to Spain, uh, to tying the Linares abduction back to Spain, which could impede their investigation. Hearst laughs John off and sends him back to the party. Burns turns up to drop off a present for John and Violet to Hearst. Some nice nice cigars. But Hearst tells him to leave the gift with his servant slash assistant, Moncton. It's a good name, Moncton. Yeah. What a name. <laughs> Burns appears perturbed that he will never be a part of the high life in New York and takes it out on Moncton, demanding respect, if not good manners. Joanna is attending the party, uh, gathering gossip for her lifestyle articles or article, while Sarah informs John that she and Laszlo are to want to confront Dr. Marco at the party tonight. John warns that their evidence is unsubstantiated and it'll just embarrass Violet when they are interrupted by Augie, following up on the card he sent to Sarah. Sarah blames it on her quote-unquote boss, John, keeping her busy. (laughs) Hearst gives a speech to John and Violet, ruthlessly tearing John down in front of the crowd. Violet even joins in, maybe unintentionally, saying she's trying to raise John up to her station. Hearst sloughs it off when he presents John and Violet with one of the first German luxury motor cars on American shores as an engagement present. John doesn't appear to appreciate the roast, and Sarah takes note. Laszlo confronts Osgood about his harem of women at the lying-in hospital and asks specifically about Colleen Ludwidge. Osgood can't believe that Laszlo wants to blame Colleen for the crimes that have been committed as he doesn't think she could ever commit them. 
and Sarah stops to talk to John, and Violet jealously looks on. Sarah is worried that John is selling himself short and thinks that he deserves better, while John is generally annoyed that she cares despite turning turning down his proposal in the past. He speaks some mean truths to Sarah and heads off. Um, Hurst kind of extracting info from John a little bit early on. Like, John, John, John comes in attempting to, like, admonish what Hurst is doing with his yellow journalism, but then Hurst also kind of pulls out the idea that um, that John and his team think there is an abductor. I thought was interesting. Yeah, he's definitely the more seasoned newsman, or at least more seasoned manipulator than John. Yeah, try to get get that info out of him so easily. Also, the company that Hurst keeps himself with in in Osgood, at least, it feels like. Uh, I think the idea that Violet is Hearst's um, illegitimate child is interesting because it's like he's found a way to deal with that, that these men going to Marco do not. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that Mm. connects up on the other side of things or not, but I feel like it could be something we touch on later uh, in, in the show. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that parallel before. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't. I can't bring it to a point yet, but maybe I will uh, later in the season. You know, a week from now. (laughs) Um, Joanne at the party in a mask, walking around. John checking in with her, making sure things are good. You know, interesting. Kind of sucks that she has to wear a mask, but makes sense for the time. Hurst's speech, I guess, is... Oh, no. Let me go back. Let me go back to our good man Burns. Um, this felt like the most telling scene about Burns. The idea, like it, it all, it, it almost gave me that motivation I was seeking for him. That he's he's become kind of this lackey for the for the rich people, but and for the upper crust of New York, and wants to be a part of that. And he brings this gift by because he wants to be accepted by Hearst, but Hearst is just kind of like, that's cool, you know, it'll get to them. Leave it with the guy. See you later. Make sure you go through the kitchen and get some hors d'oeuvres. Don't go out into the main room. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, which is really interesting. It, like I, I don't, I don't know why I wasn't necessarily expecting it, but to kind of see that, and then also Burns taking it out on Moncton with the Donald Trump handshake of "Put her here. Let me pull you close," and you know the power move of pulling him off of his his balance. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very good. Some very good uh, burns in this episode. Definitely, yeah. It helps. It it helps develop him more and show this is like the one circumstance in which he's not able to exert power and control over somebody. Like yeah. you, you meet the people who he works for. And yeah, and not that's... not not just that he works for, but that he aspires to to be like. And when you quickly realize they will never accept him in that way. It's it's kind of a very interesting interplay between season one and two because he feels like he's at the top of the food chain in season one, right? Mm-hmm. And in this season, we're seeing that he's not necessarily. He is like I think there were scenes of him with J.P. Morgan in the first season, but right, for yeah. some reason, it didn't feel like there was that big of a power imbalance between them. Whereas here, it feels very clearly illustrated. Yep, for sure. So well, also I think Morgan. At least the <clears throat> the way they're presented here, Morgan is the type of businessman who 
would not necessarily exert cruelty if he didn't have to. Mm. He seems like he'd he'd be content to just do his thing and let the system work itself out and keep his keep his allies fine until he needs to do otherwise. Whereas Hurst seems to enjoy inflicting cruelty and humiliation on people and disregarding people. I think basically Morgan seemed a little more savvy in terms of utilizing his assets and Hearst is a little more, uh, I think, ready to just dispose of them or yeah. just not pay attention or regard. That makes sense. Uh, Hearst does kind of introduce Burns and Osgood, so I wonder if that'll pay off a little bit later on at some point. Um, I don't know yeah. what form it would, but it, it at least seems that there was a connection made there. And um, Or he's, play, he's just placating uh, Burns. Yeah, by that's doing true. and making him feel like he's treating him as an equal, but whereas Osgood, the two Hearst and Osgood have probably done that a million times to each other. Yeah, like said, like, oh, here's so and so, and like, oh, hi, nice to meet you, and then just be like, yeah, whatever. Who the fuck yeah, is that guy? That's I don't true. Know, I don't care. That's true. He doesn't matter. Wasn't that fun to make him think he was special for a second? <laughs> uh, the there's a moment where Osgood laughs at the at Burns mentioning the goddaughter, uh, and and. Hurst very quickly kind of shuts him down. Yeah. Um, so kind of curious to know how aware, how much of a secret it is well kept and, and isn't that Violet is actually his biological daughter. So um, Hurst's speech on John, uh, it, it was hard to watch. It was, it hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Even just like, just seeing kind of the disappointment on Luke Evans' face, and uh, but he takes it on the chin pretty well for anybody. Like he does it better than I would have probably. But um, yeah, the dis- disappointment is a great way to put it. He just is just bummed out like by yeah. what's happening to him, and he's not. I don't think he's used to being treated that way. And this is what I w- I was mentioning in episode three, talking about John being a part of this society. Uh, you really can see that even within the like strata of the rich there are tears yeah like john's family is wealthy like he comes from money but this is like magnate money this is hearst money right exactly where they they can do and say whatever the hell they want and and genuinely not care yeah and it's even grosser by the fact that he rips into him and then is like yeah but i bought you this car like (laughs) you you can't be mad at me look at that look at that thing (laughs) And he even says, like, my gentle ribbing, and it's, like, so cruel. Yeah, and then Violet's too stupid to realize that she's only compounding it. Yeah. Not only is she not defending him or being like, okay, that's enough, like, but she just is like, oh, well, I'll make him, you know. Yeah. Wait, wait, she's like, yes, it's true. John is a is a commoner among <laughs> us. and John crawled out of a gutter where I met him. Yeah, <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy, and I love the the shot of Laszlo kind of up there later, just kind of taking it in, just kind of being like, yep. <laughs> yeah. There they are yeah. doing their thing in the world. Yeah. It was really gross and hard to watch. And we're, we really are seeing John get taken down a couple pegs in this season. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't seem happy. And in season one, he wasn't happy either, but he was more like sick not sick, but just like there, he was going through. He had issues that yeah. he was working through. Yeah. And this season, he's just in a bad situation, in a bad relationship with a with a bad person, surrounded by worse people. Just <laughs> not happy. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. It was terrible. 
Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that one on the on the DVD box. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Please do. That'll be my poll quote. Yep. Uh Laszlo confronting Osgood, I thought was quite uh quite a good interaction. Like you it said about Osgood. Laszlo's emotion uh mm. running deep when it does come out. It feels like feels like he came with his fangs out for this for this one. <laughs> Someone photoshop some fangs onto Daniel Brule. <laughs> yes. Oh my god! Uh, oh my naked god! Naked Luke need... Evans drawing himself and uh, Daniel Brule with with fangs as, as a vampire. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god! I wanted to see Daniel Brule play a a fancy vampire now. <laughs> he'd be he'd be so good. He's got that hypnosis voice. Oh yeah. man, Daniel yeah. Brule for Dracula. Absolutely. Wait, Luke Evans was Dracula. Oh man, Something, something's happening into the Dracula verse. I can feel it <laughs> coming in the air tonight. <laughs> I still haven't seen Dracula Untold. Oh, I really want you're, to. You're missing out on the beginning of a of a universe that you'll never see. <laughs> that immediately died. Uh, yeah, that makes me want to watch it even more. There, somebody, oh, I forgot who, there's some film critic who every year on the anniversary of the Dark Universe photo tweets it and is like remember this like i think it, i think it's already been like two or three years since they they said some stupid headline about like prepare for Meet a, a new universe. universe yeah basically with javier bardem and johnny depp and all them and uh, it was so bad and universal has not taken it down so the tweet is still there you could find it and retweet it if you want like it's so funny oh man incredible luke evans yes you've been attached to so many franchises <laughs> Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything real deep that we learned from Osgood, other than the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't see Colleen as being capable of doing the things that, uh, right. uh, uh, the crimes that are, that are being committed. So I think that's important at least. Um, but other than that, some good, some good lines there. Laszlo's even and Laszlo's opening, uh, opening thrust in the in the verbal fencing match is basically just the three agencies of action within human nature are appetite, spirit, and reason. Before me, I see appetite. Appetite has vanquished both spirit and reason. Of like, hey, bro, you're fucking a lot of girls, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Laszlo. It's good that he lived in this era because I feel like you wouldn't get that far today before somebody would be just be yelling at you back like. <laughs> people were more they hurt each other out more and then they would eventually just challenge each other to a duel yeah which is what happened in uh when laszlo and and theodore met for the first time in the in the the yeah i remember you time before the alienist yeah he challenged him to a boxing match yeah um all right and then finally the we get this note of john talking to sarah and sarah being like you deserve better than this and john is like well you're a little late for that um so all right I, as somebody who has not read the book, uh, did, I did enjoy this interaction. I guess I'm couching this conversation a little bit and we'll get to what you think shortly, but it, it worked well for me, even though I'm aware that the John and Sarah thing seems to be more of a show invention and, and for the kind of love story of the series, which we've, we've discussed in previous episodes, but, um, but I like kind of the position that she takes of like, yeah, you need a girl more like me, but then also the idea of her being like, but not me. Like, it's not, this isn't going to work. 
but you need to find somebody else. I, I think I think is interesting. I don't necessarily um, n- know that I have any deep insights as to why she feels that way, and and if it really uh, if she if the lady doth protest too much and she would want to be with John, or if it's just they're too close and it would never work, or they knew each other for so long, but um, but I still find it kind of compelling. So with all of that said. You as as somebody who has read the book, um, what do you what do you feel about this development? I don't disagree. I think it is well written. It's well performed. Uh, I like what's being said, and I like that John genuinely seems kind of wounded by everything around him. Like he just kind of is like he's upset at her. He's upset at the situation, but by the same token, he's kind of acting like a baby about yeah. it. He's yeah. not acting like an adult and he's not, he just kind of, inst- he almost like is just spends all this time waiting for Sarah to say something like this so he can unload on her, mm. which yeah. to me feels very teenager. Like I, you know, if you've ever, which every, every guy at some point has liked a girl who has either friends owned to him or, you know, thrown it back and be like, oh no, like you're, you're a nice guy, but I don't, you know, see you that way or whatever. And I think when you're like a teenager or like a middle schooler, you want to react in these big showy emotional gestures like this, thinking in your brain that that's going to convince the girl to like you. And that is not going to work ever. (laughs) And B is something that you should outgrow as you mature and develop into an adult. And then you begin to see something from somebody else's point of view and actually engage in, in in a more meaningful conversation. So the whole thing was kind of gross to watch because I was like, "Ugh!" Yeah. like I understand. I get it. I get how he's feeling. He may not even actually still love Sarah or have ever loved Sarah. He probably just also is yearning for someone like her, but he's like taking it out on her. He's taking out his bad decision on her. But at the same time, he's trapped. Like dude's going to marry into a multi-million billion dollar family if he can just stomach it. Mm-hmm. But they haven't even had the engagement. This is the engagement party, right? Like, yeah. They have only made it this far, and he already is, like, looking for a way out. And he just needs to step through that door on his own and stop trying to rely on one of his friends to pull him through it. Yeah. So, that all that said, it's very John Moore. So, I can't, like... Interesting. That's I can't interesting. Be like, I can't be like, ah, this is bad writing, because this is exactly the way Moore would act. Like, this is the Moore that would propose to Sarah while drunk, and she would kick his ass in the river and be like, no, you drunk idiot. Like, sober up and stop acting like a kid. Because he would, he has these big outbursts of of un, unhinged uh, impulsive emotion, nature. exactly. Yeah, which uh, which is great. But in, for the show, I think that's kind of the thing that rubs me the wrong way about it. Is the show treats it very seriously. Yeah, and I feel like they're manipulating you into feeling sorry for him a little bit as the viewer. Like you're supposed to kind of be like, oh no, poor John. Like Sarah, like. Just reach out to him. You can you can make all this go away. And like, no, that's not her job. Like, yeah, yeah. And that that is always the the kind of the position of the of the two characters in the book is like, and he even says it too. He's like, you're being you're you're why are you saying anything? Then you're being more like an annoying sister. Yep. And that's the dynamic that I miss. And while basically I I, I don't. I'm beginning to be more open to the idea of like a love story between them because the show is obviously a separate animal from the books, but I like this so much more. I like Sarah being like, 
dude, like I, you do need a girl more like me, but that doesn't mean you, me, there's, there's hundreds of women like, in yeah, this, like you know, here it, it, it's, it's dangerously close to falling into the will they won't they trope when it could mean so much more if Sarah doesn't fall for John. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it should, like, he should, he should just get his shit together and stop like, he just looks to other people to kind of be the way out for him rather than finding the way out on his own. Yeah. And uh, I think that both Laszlo and Sarah are excellent foils for him to like, they're supportive of him and even they'll deal with his bullshit. And that's what good friends do, I guess, is like just deal with Moore's childish crap yeah. and hope that he'll get it together the next time around, which he never will, which is why he's so endearing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I liked it. Great, <laughs> great, great scene. Uh, it was yeah. terrible. I loved it. He <laughs> he uh, he brings up the term Yazoo tributary, which is a native, I think, a Native American name for a tributary that runs beside a main river. He says, uh, flirts with joining it, comes very close, never joining it. But it apparently in real in in real life or in from what I was reading on Wikipedia and uh, Google, uh, it it means they do eventually meet up at some point. Um, so, I I actually liked that writing a lot. I I also figured it was not necessarily the but it's good for more because he's mostly right. He's just not <laughs> completely. He didn't he didn't do he his didn't fact read check. the full article. He, he's been told that by somebody else, and he <laughs> took it as fact. Uh, yeah, that's about as profound as he'll get. I do I do like that though. I like that bit of writing and I like the idea of comparing human relationships to the way that like water would move along. Yeah. It reminds there was some I feel like I've brought this up before on another show or this show. There was some old thing I saw on the internet oh, 10 years ago easily at least um that I had saved at some point that talked about the nature of parallel lines versus perpendicular lines. Mm. Uh it was so good, and it basically, I'm going to get it wrong, it's, I mean, let me let me rephrase that, it's, it is good, but it's also like, I, I'm, I follow this Twitter account called This Is Deep, and they just post <laughs> stuff that's like. Or the subreddit that's I'm 14 and this is deep. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly, it's, it's exactly that, where something on its surface, you could be like, okay, that's not necessarily wrong, but it's being presented in a way that's kind of like silly, and like Facebook, like your aunt will share that on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, no offense to uh, anybody's aunts out there, because every aunt is somebody's mom, and moms are wonderful. Well, not all aunts, but I'm getting off off topic here. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, but it basically said that like parallel two parallel lines run alongside each other forever, but they never meet, and that's sad. And perpendicular lines will meet once, but they don't spend any time together. They meet briefly, and then they're gone again forever, and and, and that's even sadder, or something like that. And yeah. that's what I thought of when Moore was telling this story, because I kind of thought about the nature of of illustrating lines as though they're relationships and thinking that that, that was interesting. It almost felt like, like it's something Pizzolatto would write, except he would have done it a little bit better. Mm. But it feels like it kind of came from that same world of uh, of like an English literature major who like would write something very flowery that has some meaning, but it just wasn't quite as refined yeah. as it could have been. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I think that's a good... But coming from John, it was basically like the painting thing, where it was like, wow, this is good for him. Like, <laughs> he's having a good night. <laughs> I didn't expect that from you, John. 
All right. Google. Act three. Yes. Uh, Colleen and Bitsy sit down to dinner at the hospital and almost start to bond when Bitsy blows it by mentioning Marco to her. Libby explains that Colleen pretends the interaction with Marco don't happen and tells Bitsy to apologize. Helen tries to get into a dress despite her current health and asks Libby to get her into the said, into said dress. Uh, a big cake is pulled out into the party and several Marie Antoinettes pull it ap- apart to find a ring. Violet seduces John somewhere upstairs after getting jealous of Sarah earlier at the party. Laszlo starts monologuing to a man who walks away, but eventually a woman comes up behind him, just in time to correct him on several facts. Laszlo appears taken aback by the corrections and finds out that the woman is an alienist herself by the name of Karen Stratton. Laszlo has read all of Karen's work and receives a card upon which to call Miss Stratton. Sarah heads up to confront Osgood and Marco when Helen herself comes in to confront Osgood. Osgood slips away while Marco tries to abscond with Helen, but Sarah stops him, and Helen tells Sarah that they took her baby and sterilized her. Marco convinces her to come with him by saying Osgood still wants her, and he will take her back to Osgood's townhouse. Sarah tries to stop Helen, but Helen decides to go with Marco. Sarah lights a smoke and puts it out in Osgood's drink on his way down the stairs. Um, Colleen and Bitsy, there seems to be something with Marco. Marco using her uh, in, in some way, and... Uh, we'll have to see kind of where that, if that comes to a head, um, Mm -hmm. but, um, also gross. Once again, a man in a position of power and also kind of like the dude doing these sterilizations. Although I think we learned that Colleen, they wanted to sterilize Colleen, but did not. Um, so all around gross at the hospital, which we knew. Yep. Grossness Um, ensues. As soon as Helen was getting into that dress, I was like, she's going to go to that fucking party, and mm-hmm. it's going to be bad. <laughs> yup. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> uh, what'd you think of the cake? The cake, uh, the finding the ring in the cake? I felt the exact same way Laszlo did. I was like, this is just so <laughs> out of touch and gross, and like, why the rich are shit. Yeah. Yeah, it, it and it Laszlo's a, rich. That's the thing. Like Laszlo's <laughs> a rich, and he is from fanciness, and he just is looking down on them like, ugh. Yeah, but hell? he's not the one showing up in in a Louis costume or a Marie costume. Like he's he's yeah. there for John, but he's not. You know, he's not one of the dudes down there cheering on these girls tearing a cake apart, right? Yeah. Look at these look at these savage women <laughs> finding a ring in a cake. Um. But, uh, so Karen Stratton, is Karen Stratton in the book? No, there's wow. not really a, there's not really a love interest for Laszlo. I, I mean, it's a little, a little probably off color for me to immediately label her as a love interest, but I, it very clearly feels like that's what they're setting up. Cause it felt like that, a meat cute out of a rom Yeah, that business card was a straight 1898 booty call. <laughs> and uh laszlo was like hey i yeah. i do like that around the same time both laszlo and john are both kind of like well i was feeling principled but <laughs> but check this out <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, was... i mean it's nice to have somebody who can put laszlo in his place um uh, oh absolutely I, his and his reaction to all of it was so funny he's kind of like yes are you mansplaining to me? <laughs> uh, 
But at the same time, there was something about it that just felt so on the nose that I was kind of like, like even even the way the music changed, I was I was just kind of like, this is not. It feels out of place. I want to cut. I'm going to cut together a trailer. <laughs> yeah. of of them meeting oh man when we get more footage of them together beautiful yes let's do it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's gonna open he's gonna be saying his line and then she's gonna do that and it's gonna have a record scratch and he's gonna turn around <laughs> and then the intro to two princes is gonna play and then it's gonna say paramount pictures beautiful. and then a vo will come in and say he was just an alienist. <laughs> and she was an alienist. So was she. <laughs> we'll get Will Arnett. <laughs> Beautiful. It'll be so good. We'll get we'll get Michael Wincott. We know who his agent is. Yes. No, that I mean <laughs> I yeah, I I just that I blows my mind that she's not in the book. I uh, don't I don't think so. Definitely not in like in like a in like yeah. a Laszlo romance type way. Yeah, I mean, according to the dash alienist.fandom.com slash wiki, uh, she's she's just a character in the show. So, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It 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 that it just kind of blows my mind. I figured it it felt like a moment that was something that uh something that people would be waiting for who were aware of it. And and so I I don't know. I'm, my mind's a little blown by that. Yeah, I was as taken aback as Laszlo was. Yeah. Um, and then Helen confronting Osgood and Marco, um, it just kind of goes to show the, these women that they're preying on are, are, are being manipulated on the, on the deepest level, right? Yep. That's the perfect way to put it. Like, uh, because even her decision to go back with Marco to the townhome or wherever he actually takes her, uh, is something born purely out of desperation and yep. almost almost addiction, and uh, it was so gross. Well, we don't get to see the fallout, but it, like the it uh, Sarah's like putting the cigarette out in his drink feels like the most of what he will have to endure in the situation. Almost, yeah. right? Yeah, so. and Sarah almost knows it. That's why she does it. Yep. Uh, all right, and let's get on to Act Four. Laszlo posits to the group that maybe Marco and his misdeeds are a misdirect from the real killer's trail. Senora Linares drops in on them to inform them that she remembers seeing a particular person at the tea house that day. Millie returns with photographs from the tea house and they lay them out and take a look. Senora sees a face in one of the photos and it shocks Sarah as they all get into a stagecoach to head to the lying-in hospital. Bitsy apologizes to Colleen and tries to help her with chores. Uh, she directly asks Colleen about what happened to Mrs. Knapp's baby when Colleen gets angry because she assumes Bitsy thinks she did it. Uh, Bitsy runs from an ang- angry Colleen right into a darkened locked room, and Libby's there. Libby had, has black charcoal in her mouth and injects Bitsy with a poison and essentially runs off after Bitsy gets the door open. The gang arrive to try and find Libby, but Libby gets away and Marcus tries to, uh, no, excuse me, I think it is Lucius in this case, (coughs) tries to cure Bitsy and succeeds. Yeah. Yeah, Laszlo, I like that Laszlo finally is just kind of like, all right, maybe it's not Marco. And I think like everybody else is probably like, fucking finally, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we, we welcome aboard. Um, so that, 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 that is not unlike the book. Laszlo in the book has a really hard time accepting that a mother 
could do or uh, someone who is mothering could do something like this that's interesting that doesn't i don't feel as though that's come across in the show i i know i'm i'm speaking purely out of memory at this point but i'm i feel like there's a lot of similar resistance in the book to this idea because laszlo thinks I, that a, that a mother would defend her her child I would, I would, I would buy that if if they went that way at all here. But yeah, they're 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 just presenting something without reinforcing it at all. In yeah, the show. It it certainly mostly just feels like a, a a vendetta against Marco rather than like an an unwillingness to accept the horror of a mother uh, harming a child or former mother or yeah. It also I I do have to yeah well uh, yeah we'll put a pin in that we'll see what the next few episodes have to say about that. Okay. It could end up being more important than I initially thought. Okay. Um, Senora Linares is dropping by. I, I like the idea of like the photographer was, he just got his stuff developed a couple days later and finally has those photos. Um, and that's kind of their mechanic to pinpoint who it is. Uh, mm-hmm. anyway, I thought it was a, I, th- I thought it was a good mechanic, but also I felt ahead of the show at this point, you know, gotcha. they didn't, they didn't do, uh, it doesn't feel like they tried to lead you on much at that point. Like you, you can kind of see most of it coming within this act, anyway, not ahead of time. Um, and kind of Colleen's reaction to like Bitsy asking her about everything, I thought was um, I I wouldn't call it a good fake out, but I I I I liked that she also kind of turned on a dime when she realized what was happening and that Libby was going to attack. Mm-hmm. Or whoever was going to attack Bitsy when she got into that room. Yeah, same. Um, I don't know if you can comment much on it, but what do you feel like Libby was doing with charcoal in her mouth? Uh, what do you think the show was... Like, to me, I guess I can say, to me, it almost feels like she's got charcoal in her mouth because she maybe was going to attempt to kill herself or something, and she... She decided against it and had the charcoal to throw up whatever she ingested or injected. You're on the right track. Okay. All right. So it it, it wasn't necessarily clear to me, but from, from the mechanics that the show has introduced and, and what we know of activated charcoal and kind of what the Isaacsons have set forth, it, that's that's what I got out of it, but it doesn't feel completely clear to me what, what happened, obviously with a good reason, but... Um, yeah, this is the moment I was talking about that was so creepy and actually made me like make a sound because the the way Bitsy goes into that room and then that lantern comes on, yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> did not see that coming. And it was so effective and so creepy. Yeah, I loved it. It was so good. I actually just like made a I made a noise for sure. <laughs> Don't know what it was, but was it, it freaked um, me out. Google. Yeah, that's Beautiful. my voice. That was me doing that. <laughs> the lantern turned on, and I said, "Google." <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, anything else about Act Four? The when they all show up kind of late, but they managed to save Bitsy. I was glad Bitsy didn't die because I I like kind of Sarah's crew. I thought um, she would. I thought she I, was gonna die. I did too. I was like, I feel like if they're gonna have a body count, this is maybe where it is. But the body count of of book two is pretty significant. Mm. Well, 
We shall there's see. There's so much I want to say. I just want there's I just want you to ask me a question <laughs> and I want to answer it. But I won't say it until you ask it. Damn it. Uh all right, maybe I'll start pulling at the thread. Um <clears throat> is Libby the name of the killer that you get at the beginning of the book, I guess. I don't know. Well, no, maybe I don't want to ask that. I don't want to ask that question yet. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to, you're going to probably, I don't know if you're going to ask the question that I want to answer so bad, but you're probably going to have a lot of questions. Uh, I want, I dropped, I dropped some hints in our earlier episodes about some Mm. stuff that may answer some of the questions you have without, (laughs) without answering them directly. There was one point I made in particular that you were, you're already kind of dancing around. Um, we could, we can throw up like a spoiler wall, I guess, if, uh. I I feel like I'm not there yet, so we shouldn't even... Okay. We'll see if we get there after the end of Act 5 here, I guess, right? So I can... can, Let me finish out the recap and and see where we go. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I forgot there's more. That's important, too. Uh, Libby knocks on the matron's door and invades her apartment in a very disheveled state. Ultimately, she pins the matron to the wall, seemingly detesting the treatment she has received from the matron when she produces a scalpel scalpel and stabs the matron in the neck several times libby drags the body elsewhere in the apartment and draws open eyes on the eyelids of the victim a la memento mori and she snuggles up close with the dead matron uh i didn't do you know if i missed anything in particular in there because i i i I was a little delirious finishing up these notes last night (laughs) Uh, No, i don't think so other than that even her dying words are to call libby stupid and Mm. be cruel to her (laughs) yeah very kind woman the matron yeah um not very matronly of course mm-hmm. uh yeah so it, it was it it was great because nicole and i were watching this together and even nicole as we finished this scene was like i really like that the killer is part of the story right now she was like i like that this this killer is a character in the story and and we get to spend time with them unlike Beecham in the first season where it just kind of felt like you got those little glimpses of somebody being weird with the kids that were abducted but we yeah. knew nothing about him right well season one did that really awkward thing too of like showing him at the end of every episode or every two episodes but yeah not, nothing really of any worth it was just kind of like weird freak out stuff and it just wasn't I would rather it not have even been there at all. And I think I even said that. And you were like, you made the point of like, well, they got to keep, they got to keep you on the line. They got to keep you on the hook and make sure that you are tuning in still. Well, and they kind of do that a little bit in this season as well. You get little glimpses of the baby, at least, um, in, in the apartment and things around the apartment. Yeah. They're doing something similar in this season too. But the fact that we get to episode four and it's like, at least right now, it appears to be who this person is, that Libby's the one that has the baby, which may or may not be true. I don't know yet. Um, It just, if if Libby is the main villain here, I think it's, it's, honestly, I like it infinitely better that we get to spend some time with the person and understand their motivations and they get to have an actual uh character right beach him, mm-hmm. beach him in the first season was just this weird looking dude who smashed a cat in a bag and knew how to climb stuff right forgot about that <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's 
uh it's it's very refreshing to to spend time with this horrible terrible person it seems who who has who has some amount of sympathy with her even with the idea of like it seems like maybe she can't have kids anymore or her kid was taken from her or whatever the situation is it feels like there's some connection to humanity that's still there uh but the fact that she can commit these heinous acts i think is uh is pretty horrifying what what did you think about this final scene uh it was sweet it was way more intense and uh in in your face than i thought it was gonna be Hmm. it was uh it was pretty cool Uh, but the using her blood to paint on her eyelids uh, i was like yeah that was super disturbing and then like lays down with her i was just like that was the thing like i didn't i don't know why it didn't register me on at the end of my first watch of it, but on the second watch, like, I guess I just was paying just a little bit more attention and like saw her laid down with her. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, so, so what was... do you, what do you think is going on? Or you're saying you're not sure yet if Libby is, uh, the killer or the abductor. I feel like there is room for Libby to, be a different red herring i feel like there's also there was some language at some point in one of these episodes that i forgot to call out that kind of made it seem like libby may not be the only person partaking in this Mm. uh situation um but like i'm kind of along for the ride right now like it feel it very much feels to me like libby's the one who who uh, the senora saw she's probably the one that abducted her baby and um and the charcoal stuff feels connected to the nap baby and like it, it all it all feels like it's i'm hook line and sinker for what the show is positing cool Good. um but i feel like if i thought about it hard enough maybe there's some things that i could pull at but I, I'm i'm not necessarily there as of yet so I'm gotcha. sorry if you wanted to have a more spoilery conversation about it, but <laughs> I'm still I'm still in the fold. There's always next seems. week when we're three quarters of the way through the show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. And the week after when it's over. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. A rapidly accelerating pace. Not even accelerating, just a very fast pace. But it's weird to think if it was following an, a more n- normal release schedule, we'd only be on episode two right now. Yeah, yeah. Which is nuts. I think I prefer it this way. Like, this is kind of cool yeah. to be to be blasting through it, but it is weird because, like I kind of said in a, in the Discord, my memory of what happens in which episode is a little muddled. I tend to watch them somewhat back-to-back, so yeah, it starts I, to get a little fuzzy. The thing that's interesting to me is that they kind of feel like they couple together very well oh yeah i I feel like you uh normally on like a two-night season premiere you get it because they're probably like oh the real hook of the season comes at the end of episode two after we set everything up like i think that makes sense with a lot of other tv shows but it's interesting to me that three and four uh three introduces libby and four shows you that libby may be the killer and i feel like just kind of the two hour sets of these almost feel like it's kind of considered and so it's kind of weird that it feels like it was a late 
late minute, uh, like a last minute pivot to be like, hey, two at a time, eight episodes, this is what we're doing. Four weeks, yeah, boom, get yeah. it done. I agree, so. yeah, they, they do they do pair very well together, which is interesting that it just, whether it, like you said, whether it was designed that way or it just worked out. Yeah. it is. It does make for a very different viewing experience. You know, we're used to doing it either one episode at a time, week to week, or like the Netflix model, or watch as many as you want. Like, watch yep. f- six episodes in a day, who cares? And now it's like this weird chunk of two it's like something yeah. new to experience absolutely <laughs> it's cool. uh, I, I like it a lot so far yeah any any final thoughts like I, I i i really enjoyed both of these episodes um i honestly feel like i'm enjoying season two more than i did season one uh in a, in a lot of different ways from a plot way from a character way good um it's just uh it's been good yeah i'm really excited to see next week's because i feel like we're the the floodgates are really going to open we could get into more there's a lot that i want to talk about from this episode that i realize i just can't quite do yet but next week i think it's pretty guaranteed that we'll be able to all right specifically if i can remember to talk about it the restaurant scene with libby and sarah the uh the file that libby finds the nap file that she surrenders Mm -hmm. uh and i guess those are the two big things Okay, I will try to make note of those, um, and hopefully ask about them once uh, once I think they come back into yeah. play. But um, yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Yeah. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on TheAlienist.tv. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Podcasts. You can email us at feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast. And share your thoughts on TNT's The Alienist so we can read them on our show, send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and AMC's Preacher. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Division by Kevin MacLeod and is being used under an attribution Creative Commons license. That's all for this episode of The Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what the next two episodes of The Alienist brings. But until then, we will see you at the chopper.